Welcome back to the 18th Century Podcast, I'm your host CJ. In today's episode, we'll take a look at canons during the 18th century. I have high hopes this episode will explode in the podcast world. Okay, I'm really sorry I had to, the joke was there, had to go for it guys, I apologize. So, if you'd like to read the script for this episode and its citations, go to 18thcentury.home.blog. That's 18thcentury.home.blog. Type the numbers, don't spell them. Alright, so let's begin with how a canon functions. I think the most basic thing to understand about canons is how they function. Let's go over some parts, crew, and a drill on how to fire it. Now, some of the terminology and how I will describe the drill will be a modern interpretation, but the premise remains the same. The positions of the gun crew are as follows. Front left, front right, rear rear left, rear right, powder handler, and gun captain. Uh, I'll now read from the National Park Service's Manual of Instruction for the Safe Use of Reproduction 18th Century Artillery in Historic Weapons Demonstration. Uh, I'll be reading from their 12 steps, and this will also mention some of the uh, pieces of the uh, cannon and some of the tools used. Alright guys, let's kick things off with number one. So, form at the rear of the piece... Uh, members of the gun crew standing at their positions perform a right about face and walk to the rear of the gun. The powder handler walks from his post uh, and joins the line at the right. Number two, man the piece. The uh, gun crew performs a right about face and walk to their positions on the gun. The powder handler walks to his post by the ammunition chest. Number three, search piece. The rear right checks the vent is clear with pick and calls out clear. Upon hearing clear from rear right, front left inserts the wad hook into the bore and slides it to the breech. He then turns the shaft of the wad hook and to search for any debris and previous shots. After searching wad hook, is withdrawn and front left calls out clear. If objects or debris are found, a second search is recommended. Number four, advanced sponge. Front right dampens sponge head in bucket and shakes off any excess moisture. The sponge head should be damp but not soaking wet. The sponge is placed against a lower rim of the muzzle of the gun. Five, tend vent. Rear right covers the vent thoroughly uh, using the thumb stall standing either inside or outside the wheel, depending upon the size of the gun. 6. Sponge piece. Front right inserts the sponge into the bore all the way to the breech. He turns the sponge several times. Front right and rear right Uh, maintain eye contact as rear right maintains the seal over the vent at all times when the sponge is withdrawn. Front right reverses the staff bringing the ram head against the muzzle. 7. Handle cartridge. Front left hands wad to uh, rear left 
who holds it with his left hand, keeping the line stock in his right. Front left turns to his left to receive the cartridge. Rear left places the head of the line stock under the trail of the gun. Powder handler opens the ammunition chest, removes one cartridge, and immediately places it in the leather haversack. The chest is closed. Powder handler moves forward, staying to the left of the gun, stops at uh, the gun captain to inspect cartridge. Powder handler continues forward, halts facing front left, and hands him the cartridge. Powder handler walks back to his position by the ammunition chest. Front left holds the cartridge with both hands against his body and faces forward. 8. Charge piece. Or, with cartridge, front left inserts, slides, cartridge into muzzle, keeping hands below muzzle. Front left turns to rear left and retrieves wad hook. Rear left keeps line stock under trail. 9. Ram down cartridge. Using the rammer, front right pushes the cartridge to the breech of the gun in a smooth single movement. The ram staff is held with both hands and thumbs along the side of the staff. When ramming, avoid uh, the rammer into the bore or pounding the cartridge. When the cartridge is seated, front right immediately withdraws the rammer and resumes his position. 10. Prime. Rear right withdraws his thumb from the vent, using the left hand's thumb and forefinger only. Take the priming wire uh, pick and insert it into the vent hole, letting it drop onto the cartridge. Then, still using only thumb and forefinger, push down and uh, break open the cartridge and the priming wire is removed and placed in its storage location. A quill is selected and placed into the, event, into the vent again using only thumb and forefinger. Rear right returns to his original position. 11. Take aim. Gun captain advances to the breech of the gun and stands to the left of the carriage and does not stand inside the carriage cheeks. Powder handler walks to the hand spike at the trail and stands so no part of his body is directly behind the trail or hand spike. Gun captain extends his arm and locks elbows and places his palms against the breech of the gun and aims through his upright thumbs. Gun captain adjusts elevation or depression of barrel and by taping or sorry, tapping upon the cheeks of the cartridge indicates to uh, the powder handler which direction the gun must be traversed. Powder handler lifts the trail of the gun with the hand spike to traverse it as required. When gun captain is satisfied with the, the uh, lie of the gun, he and powder handler resume their places. 12. Fire. Gun captain makes eye contact with with left and either withdrawn sword or hand signal gives a visual command accompanying the verbal command to fire. LR brings the line stock to the vent in a smooth motion from the breech towards the muzzle, touching the primer quill 
with the glowing end of the burning match. Once the gun has fired, the gun captain and crew will secure the piece with the following motions. Search piece, advanced sponge, tend, uh, then sponge piece at this junk juncture. The gun captain may command uh, secure piece and dismiss the crew. Um, guys, I apologize. That was a very poor uh, instructions it's not very clear and i'm going to post a well i i know there's a couple good videos actually explaining this i thought that the national park services um i just would have given a better instructions on this um apparently i was wrong so i apologize for that but uh, click the link in the description where it says uh, read script here uh, scroll to the bottom of the page and I'll have a uh, I'll have a video for you guys explaining it a heck of a lot better than I did here again I apologize those instructions were very poorly written um, I I'm sorry about that but yeah the vent of the gun that would be you know the inside when they're talking about you know muzzle i think that's obvious uh yeah i honestly expected more of the national park service to give clearer instructions or just better written instructions uh yeah i i, I apologize uh but yeah there are a lot of steps to firing a cannon so i yeah again i'm i'm very sorry so anyways, uh, I'm going to take a small short break here, and when we come back, we're going to actually talk about some of the different types of cannons, and I'll explain it a little bit better between, you know, like, uh, or just artillery pieces, between like a howitzer, uh, mortars, rockets a bit. So see you guys after, after the break. Welcome back. We'll continue our second half of the show by going over some different types of cannons and other artillery used during the 18th century. Let's start off with mortars. The mortar was a small piece of artillery with many variations. The caliber would range between 4.4 inches to 13 inches. The mortar was set at a 45 degree angle and to adjust for distance they would use a different type of charge. The howitzer was originally crafted to fire off bombs. It went through many changes over time but ended up having a short barrel while being able to fire a larger caliber. Both howitzers and mortars were chambered weapons. To explain what it meant that uh, they were chambered, I'm going to quote from one of my sources because they explain it best. This comes from AmericanRevolution.org. Quote, A powder chamber was bored into the breech end of the inside of the tube, which was smaller in diameter than the bore of the tube. Unquote. Now, the cannon itself has its origins in China, but it was developed more so in Europe. In 18th century warfare, I think it's obvious to say that cannons were pretty prevalent during battles. Uh, the most common shot associated with artillery was the cannonball. 
If you don't know what a cannonball is for some reason, it's a spherical object which is made from cast iron. A few other types of shot used were grape shot, canister shot, and case shot. For the canister and case shots, they were each uh, they were each cylinder, but the canister shot was filled with iron balls, and the case shot was filled with musket balls. Now, grape shot had a similar idea, but instead of being made from metal, it uh, it would have a uh, wood base, and the iron or lead balls would be enclosed in a canvas bag. Grape shot was uh, way more effective for longer range. Grape shot, canister shot, and case shot, when fired, all acted as a sort of shotgun once they were fired off. So once the cannon or ar artillery piece fired off, case shot, canister shot, case, uh, grape shot, sorry, uh, it would sort of act like a, how a shotgun would, or how we would perceive a shotgun would fire. The uh, little balls would spread out, and the further, you know, they, the further the uh, shot went, the more spread out the uh, shot was. Some of the tools used for cannons were as follows. A line stock would hold a slow burning match, which would ignite a wick to fire off the piece. A sponge would be used after a shot to make sure that there was no burning powder left in the vent. A worm was a tool used to clear a cannon from a misfire or remove debris left over from a shot. Uh, again, my apologies for the first half of this episode. I thought the instructions from the National Park Service would have been presented a bit better. I only skimmed over them before I recorded this episode, and I should have looked at them a little more in depth, so that's on me for this episode. And uh, I was a bit rushed this week. I have a lot of stuff going on this week, and I'm going to be a bit busy next week, but I'll try my best to uh, up the quality for next week's episode. So, yeah, sorry about this week's episode, guys. It isn't as better quality as uh, previous episodes. So the script and citations for this episode and all other episodes can be found at 18thcentury.home.blog. That's 18thcentury.home.blog. Type the numbers, don't spell them. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, please uh, share it and leave a review. Also, guys, uh, go into the uh, description of this episode where it says read script here. Click on the link, scroll to the bottom of the page, and there's a video there that I found online that explains the the whole uh, firing off a cannon way better than I did today. So I wanted to make up for that. Uh, I've been your host, CJ, and thanks for listening to this episode of the 18th Century Podcast.